Hey fans, Daniel Gus Schreiner here with the Disciple Henson podcast. Today, Gus Pritchard is my guest. We met at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. about 11, 12 years ago. Jeff Chang, whom Gus affectionately called the Brazilian, and then Michael, whom Gus, Gus called the good doctor, and then me, whom Gus called Dr. Doctor, uh, all worked together. Michael, the good doctor, was our supervisor. Uh, Jeff, myself, and Gus were pastoral assistants. And Gus is still a good friend. He's a pastor in Indianapolis, as you'll hear, and he has good things to say, and he has a great accent. So even if I misunderstand him sometimes, we get off to a little bit of a slow start in the beginning, so stay with us because we had a couple of outtakes. So we, I think we were tired by the time we began, but stick with us. Gus has a lot of good things to say. He loves the Lord. Hope you're encouraged. Gustav Pritchard, so. welcome to the Disciple Henson podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be with you, Daniel. Who are you? I am Gustav Pritchard, also known as Gas Pritchard. Um, born in South Africa, married to Kate. I have uh, with her three girls, three lovely girls. Um, I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, love the Lord and have uh, the privilege of serving as a pastor in Indianapolis in Indiana. And how do we know each other? We know each other because our paths crossed uh, many moons ago now. I stole your name. You did. You did. So uh, so boldly. I do remember the day you um, picked up the phone when I was talking to another man, Benjamin Wright, and said that uh, I can't be Gus because it's a Gus you're already, and I had to go back to my full name. But I have come back to take what is mine. You came, you saw. You saw, you came, you, 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 came, you saw, you conquered. Something like that. So, Gus, uh, what brings you here to Portland? Well, you do. Um, I have come mainly to come hang out with you and uh, catch up with some folks at the church. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. This is your second time in Portland. I do like Portland a lot. What do you like about Portland? Um, I like the pedestrian lifestyle. I like that you can walk and bike everywhere. I like the, uh, the river, the scenery, the mountains. It reminds me of uh, a part of South Africa that I used to go to every year as a as a young kid um, holiday and yeah. Gus, did you come to Christ as a young child? I did. A uh, young? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't say as a young child. I came to Christ. Well, let me back up. I, I grew up in a in a, in a home where my parents were professing Christians. We went to church fairly regularly, but it wasn't until I was in middle school that my mom and dad um, got baptized. Um, and uh, I was then exposed to, I think, you know, regular gospel preaching and teaching. And then in my uh, second, uh, in the summer before my final uh, year at school, I heard the high gospel. School? High school before, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, last year at high school, I was at a summer camp, and uh, the gospel was preached um, as it had been preached to me many times. Um, and I remember sitting in a hall, um, in the in sitting in a hall, in a hall, sort of a an auditorium. Oh, H A L L. That's right. That's yeah. right. What do you think I said? H O L E. No, silly boy. Um, so I I was sitting in the hall and uh, I remember being very distracted by the heat. An American was preaching and I was thinking I can't wait for this guy to be done so I can get on with what I want to do here, which was have lots of fun, meet some pretty girls, 
And then somewhere, as he was speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the lights, you know, as they say, went on in my head. And I realized that what I had heard and what I was hearing right now was all true. Um, and I, yeah, repented of my sin and put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. Praise God. Praise God. So that's when you, you, were, you think you were converted. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, you've spent most of your life in South Africa? I have. I have spent most of my life in South Africa, besides a year in the UK or 10 months in the UK and then two and a half years cumulatively in, in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. We were in at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in DC working together with Jeff Chang. That's right. Uh, and Michael Lawrence. And Michael Lawrence. The Michael Lawrence. The Dr. Michael Lawrence. Yes. Um, what was that, like 2009? Two, uh, yeah, I was there in 2008 to 2010. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. And, but you're back to the United States. We are. We are back. And what brings you to the U.S.? Um, what brings me an a opportunity to work with somebody else who we know. Um, and love. And love. Nathan Lugbull in Indianapolis. He became the senior pastor of Castleview Church in the last couple of years and needed some some help, uh, an associate uh, pastor position opened up, and we were thinking at that time already um, uh, about uh, coming back to the States to, 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 to pastor and minister here. So, yeah. So you know the U.S. You married an American. I, that's true. Um, but you are an outsider. I am. In some regards. You're, you're not an American citizen. I am not an American citizen yet. What strikes you about the American church um, what do you think are even some blind spots that you've noticed? So some positives, yeah. some negatives that you've noticed coming from spending most of your life. You were a pastor in South Africa in Johannesburg. I think you said that. That's true. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, yes. I don't know if I said that, but that is true. Which yeah. was a pastor in South Africa for ten years. Um, oh, I think the American Church, and if we can speak of such a thing, um, at least mm-hmm. evangelicalism um, has so many wonderful. Uh, marks of grace. Um, mm. I mean, the word that comes to me is well-resourced. I think mm-hmm. America not only has wealth, uh, you know, uh, financial wealth, but I think access to good books, mm-hmm. access to good good schools, good good seminaries, access to good professors, um, many healthy churches, great preachers. In many ways, I think the American evangelical house is well stocked um, with uh, lots of things that I think sh- can, and I think in large part is being stewarded well. So um, well-resourced would be a word. I've been blessed by you know, ministries here. I think of John Piper. Um, I think of our own beloved uh, Dr. Lawrence, Michael Lawrence, I think of Mark Deva. So yeah. Um, These are things as, a, as American Christians, I think that are easy to take for granted, that oh. we just assume that maybe it's it's like this in other places, or we don't give God thanks for these these blessings, these resources that He's given us, the access to the gospel. Yeah. What a blessing! What a blessing! I mean, and just to think of religious freedom that mm-hmm. that has been here for centuries and has been well used and stewarded, I think, for centuries. I also, when I think of the American church, I think of the the blessing that, that uh, American missionaries have been to me. I, I got mm. converted under the preaching of an American missionary. Mm. American missionary family in the city where I grew up befriended me and in many ways discipled me. So I'm grateful for how the Lord has blessed Christians in the United States and has used Christians abroad uh, to bring um, spiritual fruit that I pray will last for eternity. Amen. Do you think America is the new Israel? 
Oh, absolutely. No, don't be silly, Daniel. What about some blind spots? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I'd be, I'd want to be slow to give my criticism. I've only been here a year, although I've been in and out for, for many years. But I think one thing that does strike me, and this could, this may be cultural, but I don't think it is, is, is uh, the, the lack of regularly hearing any from the pulpit and even hearing Christians share with each other two things. One, the brevity of this life. Mm. And number two, the reality of hell and judgment. So, you know, we've been, yeah, I, I think... You think we need, need more fire and brimstone preaching. Some sinners in the hands of an angry God, Jonathan Edwards style, wake us up from our lethargy, from I our think prosperity. something of that. I think fire and brimstone preaching has a, has, has, can be a caricature of what I'm saying. I, I suppose I would want to just say, as we talk about where we've come from, mm-hmm. made in the image of God, made to enjoy him and glorify him forever, as we talk about Christ coming to save us, as we talk about sin, I think we must just also talk about where all this is going. Hmm. History is heading very purposefully to a, a final day when God will judge the living and the dead. Um, and that final day of judgment when we think about it rightly, defines and provides context for everything else in the world. Um, I don't know how you really treasure the cross if you have not sat and thought long and hard about the coming judgment. So I, so I just I, I think preaching that has had a huge impact on my life was um, preaching that I was exposed to during my university days. A man now who ministers in Australia, Roger Palmer, he preached the gospel regularly and one of the things he would often say was folks life is short sooner than you think we will all appear before the judgment throne of god and all the things that you are tempted to run after a nice career a nice house a nice life it will all pale into insignificance compared to the question are you in christ and I found that to be so clarifying for, mm. for me as a young person. The other thing that has... So do you think it's harder for us as Americans to hear that message uh, because of the prosperity, because I of the comfort, is. because of the distractions of the smartphones as we've been talking about the last few days? I think so. I think the comfort, I think you know, the material comfort in America can lull us into thinking this is it. We've arrived. Um, I think... Yeah, of course, you know, social media and the constant connectivity distracts us to think about eternal things. Um, I, I, also, I also think our, the, the, the increasing secular culture does not have a category for life beyond this world. And I think Christians take those presuppositions on, on board too quickly. Mm-hmm. Or we do not regularly think about the fact that um, there's, there is, there is. I mean, I've heard you say in a sermon once upon a time, ninety nine point nine percent of our lives will be spent in another world. So yeah, yeah. So you, from your perspective, you've diagnosed uh, a problem um, or a blind spot in, yeah. in the church, uh, and I tend to agree with you. And uh, any any thoughts other than encouraging preachers to be bolder yeah. and to to help 
the church with that perspective to to preach those texts uh, with conviction. Um, just any thoughts in terms of what ordinary Christians can do in the day in day out to to see that reality, to to live for eternity, to uh, have a proper fear of God and live in light of the coming judgment. Just any any th- quick thoughts? Oh, that's a great question. I didn't prepare you for that one, so take take a moment <laughs> yeah. if you need. And then I'm going to ask you about the cultural moment in America. Well, I think I think I think firstly, you know, Christians will be wise, and I think will be will be biblically informed to have a regular, if not a daily, discipline of reflecting upon their life. Hmm. Is my life going? What does I'm, that look like? I think it it, it looks like you know. Um, as one uh, fellow member in a church many years ago, it means making a, a daily habit of washing my mind with the Bible, mm-hmm. of being you know s- being seeped in the Scriptures. I think it also just I think it it means taking time, maybe annually, maybe even as a married couple together, or mm-hmm. if you're single, to do this with a friend, or just take time alone to ask, okay. What am I planning to do with my life? How am I going to steward it? What, I, what, what how, how will I value my life at the end of the day? Um, and, and to think about the promises of God that are still outstanding. Um, the promise of, of uh, our inheritance in its fullness, of seeing the Lord face to face, of being done with our struggle with sin, of receiving the resurrection of the body. Um, to, to spend time thinking about those things. And to and to be quick to encourage each other in the midst of trial and suffering, um, you know, I, I the, the man I quoted earlier, Roger Palmer, he used to also say, um, "Keep going, press on as a Christian, and 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 remember that the first seventy years they're always the hardest." Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. We could, I'm sure we could talk about that. We could, we could talk a lot quite, about that. quite a bit. Um, but I do want to get your insight on, as again, as someone kind of coming from the outside, um, on this cultural moment in America, obviously lots of tension, lots of discussion about race. You recently did a few podcasts with your boss, Nathan Lugbill, who we mentioned earlier, discussing race. Again, if, uh, if you're listening to this and you'd like to check that out, it's Castle View. I used to affectionately call it White Castle after the fast food chain. Oh, yes. Yeah, but Castleview Church in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. You can check out their podcast. Um, but how were those podcasts that you did on race with Nathan received in your church? They were received very well. Um, I th- you know, we did four podcasts trying to just uh, frame the conversation that, that the people are having and that we are trying to have from the scriptures. Um, yeah. So, I listened to most of them. Very good. Mm, thank, God. thank you for your work with that. Tell us a little bit about your background experience. Tell us about, uh, I think most will have heard, uh, listening to this podcast will have heard of apartheid, mm. but just give us a quick uh, reminder, history lesson. What was that like, or what was that in South Africa? And how did that experience, how did that historical time touch your life? Does that make sense what I'm trying I think, to ask? I think you how, can, how you did can it always, shape kind of how you think about the topic of race, your background in South Africa, based on what the, the country's been through? Yeah, so, so apartheid was a collection of, of laws, of racist laws, um, uh, uh, put on the statute books from 1948 in South Africa, lasted 50 years, um, essentially, and became to be 
uh, dismantled uh, in the in the nineties. Um, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela. That's right. Um, the Lord gave us a gift in that man um, as our first democratically elected president. Mm. Apartheid was essentially a set of laws that sought and, in many ways, succeeded to. Um, separate the word apartheid. It's an Afrikaans word. It means separateness. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was designed to separate, and I use the square the, the square quotes um, to separate the different races. So they classified South Africans broadly into four different races: black, white, coloured. I'll come back to that term, and Indian. So white that meant descendants of essentially Europeans. English mainly, and then Dutch as well. Um, and where were they in the pecking order? Right on the top. Mm. Black, black meant uh, not just to have darker skin, but to to be associated and to have some you know biological traceable uh, links to one of the South African tribes. So the, the Zulus, the Kosas, the Sutus, uh, um, uh, etc. Uh, Indian. And where were black people? In- right. So. It, Classified like that, they were right at the bottom. Okay, um, and then uh, then you had Indians. So the the, the, the English, when you know um, during colonialism, they brought indentured workers from India to work in the sugar plantations, mainly in Indi- in in, in um, Natal, a certain part of South Africa. So they are um, so so the Indians were classified as a separate race to the the blacks and the and the whites. And then the third or the fourth, the fourth uh, group, the coloured people. Of, you know, which is an ethnic group of which I would be classified as a member. They were uh, the group of people that that um, had ancestors from multiple places. So, so, so my example would be I have ancestors from Malaysia, Indonesia, native South Africans. So not even the black tribes, but the, the original peoples in the in in that southern uh, African region. The, the San and Khoisan people, the Bushmen, maybe that's a, a name you know. Okay. And then also the Welsh uh, and, and English. So the colored people, before apartheid happened, the British settlers and the Dutch settlers had relations and married sometimes, people, the, d- the different people that were there. Mm-hmm. And their descendants were classified by the apartheid government as colored. Okay, okay. So those four different, yeah, so that was- That's really, that's helpful. Um, now, how did, how did, uh, Tell us just a little bit how that touched your life. Like well, how, how did yeah. that affect your growing yeah. up in terms of how you thought about race and your yeah. experience? So <clears throat> I, I grew up at the tail end of apartheid, so my parents lived through the brunt of the fire. And did they know persecution, racism? Oh, yes. I mean, I knew racism too, but my mom and dad, I mean, I think of my uncle who, had, who still has shrapnel in his neck from the police during the riots. I think of my father being thrown off uh, a, a university um, because he was protesting against apartheid. Um, I think of just the exclusion from society and from jobs that my parents experienced that I did not. As I was growing up, things were opening up. Okay. So as I was growing up, I experienced racism, but um, the, the, the schools were opening up. So I could go to what was previously considered to be a white school. Uh, my parents bought a home in what was previously considered a white neighborhood. Um, so I mean, I definitely experienced a part of it, but not nothing to the extent of the previous generation of my of my parents. So these are the stories you heard growing up from your grandparents, from your parents. Well, and, and then experienced some. Yes. Stuff. So I think I, 
my parents, although they experienced very severe suffering mm-hmm. um, and loss, and no doubt were tempted to bitterness and to anger, they were very kind and wise, I think, to not expose me to that too early and um, did not pass on their, their bitterness, if they had any, and their hatred and their anger towards so-called white people to, to, to me. So that helped, that enabled me. Was that unusual in South Africa? I think it was. Okay. I think it was. Yes. And, and that was because of their, in large part, maybe their love for Christ, or that's just uh, common grace, godly character? I think so. I think common grace, uh-huh. uh, God, yeah, godly character. I think just a desire to protect me, mm-hmm. to protect uh, their children. I've got two siblings. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't have, I think, you know, this angry um, uh, 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 dad, and I didn't have an angry disposition towards white people. I, I can think of some peers in South Africa who from earliest age, ages were told, you know, white people are so evil. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, yeah. So I was, so I, yeah. I, so in God's strange providence, um, you know, you you know of that history, you've experienced some yourself of, of racism, and then you you land in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, in 2019. That's right. To serve as a pastor of, yeah. of this church. And then um, George Floyd happens. Right. And the protests, obviously, you know, what's happened in our city, um, the riots. Mm-hmm. What is your... What is your reaction? How, what is that? Um, are, are there different things that come to the surface in your heart and your mind as this is happening, based on on your background, your experience? Yeah, I would. You know, one thing that does that has struck me um, is how there are similarities clearly between the oppression that black people in this country have suffered historically, and what black people or you know, non-white people in South Africa has, have, have suffered. But there is, I think, a big difference. One is, and that is that in South Africa, the, minori- the minority are the white people. Mm-hmm. And so you had this peculiar situation where you had the white, you know, you had a minority oppressing the majority. Whereas in America, you, you, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. So that is different. That, that is different. That's a big difference. That's a huge difference. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, so I uh, the other thing I think I've I've realized is I don't think South Africa has not had the 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 extent of the violent oppression that America that that America has experienced. I think of slavery particularly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there were very few slaves and for a short period in in the Cape history. Um, yeah, I think I think we. Just, you know, George Floyd and I just think of how the world is talking about that and trying to grapple with the issue. I think I think Christians must be careful to get sucked into the world's analyzing of the problem and the world's offer of a solution. So I think I think of course we we want to recognize that God gives insights uh, into the world uh, about the world to even those who are outside of Christ. So we want to listen to, to, to our neighbors. You know, I think it's wise to sometimes read some of those books. But I think we must remember that the scriptures are sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and God has given us all that we need for life and godliness in the scriptures. 
And I think we must be careful to not allow the world to define the problem. So I think one way, and I think which just in the recent years that, that racism has been defined is the greatest sin in the world and almost the only sin in the world. That's just not true. The scriptures define you know, our sin as primary, not something against our neighbor, but against God. And I, I think we must just remember that, that God is you know, angry at racism, not primarily because it's something that we do against other people, but it's because we have transgre- it is an expression of our transgression against his law. Um, and I think we must also remember that the world's solution, I think this is particularly clear, the world's solution to racism is so empty because, number one, it cannot give full justice. What racists deserve, unrepentant racists deserve, is what all sinners deserve, and that is the, the, the righteous punishment of their creator for all eternity. The world cannot give that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing the world cannot give is forgiveness. Uh, you know, th- th- and this is this is the beauty, and I think the gift of the local church and, and 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 that what Christians have. We have a corner market for this, right? Because we can say to to the to the to the oppressed, there is hope. There is there is a Father in heaven who sees your pain, who feels your pain, and He will deal with those who do not repent, who have hurt you. And we can also say to the racist, if you will turn from your sin, there is hope for you. There is forgiveness. There is salvation. You can be defined not by your racism or by any other sin, fundamentally, but by Christ's righteousness given to us by faith. So I just think, you know, yeah, good, read the books, but be careful. Uh, They they can only go so far, and often it's distorted. So you wouldn't say, you're not saying to the people in your church, hey, look, look, guys, look, American Christians, racism isn't, isn't really that big of a deal. No. No, no, right. no, 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 not yeah. at all. I, 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 racism is terrible. It's evil, you know. Especially, if, and, and, and I'm defining it as, as, um, as, 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 as being biased, right? As, as being as, prejudice, uh, as favoritism, being prejudiced. the way James two talks right. about it. Exactly, yeah. mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. That's evil. Mm-hmm. It's wrong. Um, um, but it is. Uh, why is it wrong? It's not wrong just because I feel it's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's, it's wrong because God says it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And there are many other things that God says is wrong. Mm-hmm. There aren't just going to be racists in hell. There's also going to be liars yeah. and the covetous. So yeah. That's a really helpful framework. And I think we should, these are the categories in which we should be talking about these things. Yeah. And would, uh, and as we talk about these things, what would be, or two, two to three things that you just think of that might help American Christians as we uh, talk, think, pray about racism, about oppression, um, about this cultural moment. Uh, ways you would encourage us? That's a great question. I, I would, you know, it was good for me to realize to come to grips with my own ignorance of what has transpired in America over the last. You know, a couple of hundred years. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was, it was, it was helpful for me to think through that. So I think the first thing I would say is, you know, um, read, read, read some history books, um, uh, and and talk to others. I think the most important thing I would say is, get off social media. Well, don't have the conversation over social media. I would say have the conversation about race 
as you can with COVID face to face with your Bible open. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think when we when we engage in these issues, particularly on a platform like Twitter, it's it's virtually impossible to succeed. Um, you're having a conversation in public. You're having a conversation that's only you know what, what is it 180 characters long now. Um, you, you can't read facial expressions. You can't he- read tone. You, you can't ask for clarifying questions. So I would just say, you, you're going to have the conversation. We could keep on going with why not to have oh this goodness. conversation over social media. I mean, the list just goes on and Absolutely. on. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Carry on though. But I, yeah, I think I, <clears throat> I, oh, and I would, and, and I think, uh, I think we've got to be aware of the fact that we all, we, we are, our, our, our analysis, although, Although the scriptures are, are objective and they can provide an objective reading of every situation, we do come to the scriptures with our own preconceived ideas about the world, about ourselves. And we ought to be constantly clothing ourselves with humility to be you know, re-evaluating our convictions and our readings of the world in light of the scriptures and in light of the wisdom often by other Christians, and even sometimes non-Christians, mm-hmm. particularly Christians, who have, who have the spirit, who have studied the scriptures. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think my, you know, my, um, it's been I have experienced um, uh, growth in my understanding of the issues in in the United States, um, and hearing how how people have experienced racism, um, etc. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful, Gus. Um, there is other things that I wanted to talk about today, but um, I'm getting hungry, and you uh, offered to grill for us tonight. Oh, what can we be expecting for dinner at the Shriner Home? The Shriner Home tonight, we're going to have some grilled salmon. Mm, mm, that yes. sounds delicious. Uh, Gus, before we conclude, though, any any thoughts from how things are going at Castle View? Uh, just one quickly. How do you feel like the church is doing? and ways that you might encourage our church to greater unity, things that you have been encouraged by at Castleview, things you've seen your members doing, um, that you would encourage our church here at Henson, that we might see greater unity in the gospel, greater love for one another and the Lord. I think um, the Lord has been kind to us at Castleview. Our people have been patient. Um, with the whole situation and patient with their leaders as we try to figure out how best to to move forward, particularly during COVID. Particularly during COVID, yeah. I think um, I think our elders. I serve with a great group of men who have displayed again and again a willingness to hear each other, a willingness to be taught the scriptures by each other. I think Nathan, our, our senior pastor, has done a super job of. Uh, providing a platform for us to dialogue, has uh, asked the right questions. Um, I, I'm I'm struck and grateful for the unity, the oneness of mind amongst the elders as to how we should lead the church, how we should, um, you know, go forward. We have been in God's strange providence. Uh, we live in a different state, um, so we've had the opportunity to meet outside for many many weeks now, and God has kept the rain away for most of them except one. So um, that's, that's been wonderful. And we've seen how the Lord has worked mm. through COVID. We've mm-hmm. had new visitors come to the church. Mm. Um, we've had conversations with neighbors that we probably wouldn't have had um, without a pandemic. Um, so I think, I think uh, we may only see 
you know, a few things that God is doing, but he's always at work mm-hmm. doing his, uh, carrying out his good purposes uh, mm-hmm. in, in Christ. So you'd encourage us to patience. to patience. We've been unable to gather as a whole oh. church since March. You'd encourage us to oh, trust so the Lord's working, right. um, his sovereignty during these difficult days. And any, anything else that you, you would offer? Yeah, I think, I think as we were, you know, we were also in that, in that boat, we, we haven't, we didn't have that great long fast that you guys have experienced and are experiencing of not being able to meet, but we did go through that. I would encourage uh, the people at Henson to to be asking uh, the question, what, what does the Lord want me to learn? You know, mm-hmm. He doesn't do things randomly mm-hmm. and he does things very personally. What does he want me to learn through through this process? What does he want us to learn as a church through through this trial? And the Lord is good. He is doing and working out his good purposes. I'd also say, you know, watch out. Um, for the evil one, who is always seeking to exploit suffering for his wicked purposes, to sow division, I think, uh, I think I would especially encourage uh, Christians uh, in local churches to be on guard how uh, division can be sown by the fact that we 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 can't have the conversations we normally have face to face without mm-hmm. masks. Mm-hmm. So now we you know left to communicate often through email and through text and through social media. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pray and watch amen Gus appreciate you appreciate your friendship and uh, I trust this will be helpful to our church so thank you for taking the time to have this conversation this was a joy and privilege thank you